And I always take the example, you have, you have two cars. Yeah? One is 10K. And you ask the guy, is it good? Yeah, it's, the car is quite okay. It will drive. Uh, is there any warranty on it? No, there's no warranty on it. But I guarantee you it's a good car. And the next side you have is, it looks the same. It looks the same car. It costs 12K. And you have a warranty of two years. And the guy says, well, this is also a good car. Well, which car will you pick? Yeah. The one with the warranty, because you take the risk away that it is going to cause you a lot of money in one year, for example, when the engine explodes. So taking the risk away, and I think it's even proven in a, in a report that is one of the key influences uh, of awarding a deal to somebody or not. Welcome to the next episode of the Mega Deals podcast. And today we have a very, very experienced mega dealer who has been involved in doing a deal worth 2 billion euros. He currently works at a company called DXC Technology. It's a spin-off from Hewlett Packard with 140,000 employees and an annual turnover of 20 billion euros. He's been doing deals for many, many years across Europe and the deal that he's orchestrated point lead on was worth 300 million euros. He has a huge passion for doing deals. I'm really excited to hear all the valuable insights. So with us today on a link from Germany, welcome, Tim. Thank you. Excited to be here. We're so happy to have you. Thank you very much. And honestly, excited to be here and talk about the amazing stuff what's happening with uh, Mega Deals. For sure. And we would love to hear a bit about yourself and your career up until now and also what you're doing today. Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Tim Haglotz, 36 years young or old, depending who's, uh, <laughs> who's asking. <laughs> I am uh, working currently at DXE, which is an uh, IT outsourcing company. It's not that known in the market yet. We are three years, three years young. Um, but it is a merger from HP Enterprise Services and CNC, which was a consultancy firm, and they have uh, combined that together into DXC. Um, before that, I worked a small period at Salesforce, but I have to admit it was a good experience working at Salesforce, but I come to that uh, on later. Originally Dutch, uh, now as you already mentioned, uh, living in Germany. And before that, I also worked for more than 10 years in the IT industry. Um, started my sales career in the sales uh, in uh, sales in the IT industry. I think now six years ago, seven years ago, um, to be a deal maker, meaning uh, leading and orchestrating uh, deals above fifty million. And um, yeah, this is where I am now. My hobbies are uh, boxing, kite surfing, and also some kickboxing because I like uh, a competition. Uh, inside uh, business world and outside of the business world and uh, that drives me right we have that in common i'm also old boxer started boxing when i was nine years old oh really it's runs in the family so we're looking forward to you guys in the ring next time yeah <laughs> well depending on your weight class i would be more than happy to uh, to come in um <laughs> but the funny part of boxing and business is 
the the match itself starts outside of uh, uh, outside of the ring. Mm. So you need to prepare on your opponent uh, before you step into the ring. And I think that is one of my key topics for today is the qualification of a deal. So before I step into a ring, for example, with you, I need to verify what's your weight, what is your skill, are you professional, uh, did you hurt some people in the ba- in the in the back, uh, and so on and so on. So I need to verify all the angles before I would even step in and to make a, a sparring session mm. uh, with you. Yeah, you probably want to disqualify me be- before we even start, right? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> But but that's that's super interesting. Uh, before we go into that part uh, of the qualification or the disqualification, uh, how many people are there at DXC today? Uh, roughly one hundred fifty thousand. Wow! And we have a revenue of I think last year we had twenty four billion of revenue. Is that USD or U- USD? Yes, yeah, okay. Mm. Uh, impressive. But but you are one of the mega dealers, uh, would you say globally or are you kind of local in Europe? Um, well, we have different groups uh, depending uh, the size and depending uh, the geography. Uh, I'm for the region uh, North and Central Europe uh, responsible. Uh, if something happens in APAC or in America, they have their own teams uh, and that is where they then will uh, take the deal makers from that region to work in that specific um, uh, sector and uh, to be honest, I think in the European industry there's enough business to do. Uh, so for me, I, I'm fine working in Europe. So uh, out out of the um, uh, so you're 150,000 employees and and you're clearly uh, one of the experienced mega dealers. How many do you think in the organization um, can actually orchestrate a mega deal? And I mean. Obviously, they're in teams, but, you know, without yeah. your help or somebody more experienced's help. So I think mega dealers are is a specific niche in sales. You have business developers who go out, get business, find some idea with a customer, bring it back and then evolve it to a deal. And then a deal maker steps in and take it uh, throughout all the stages. So that's a specific set. You have account executives, a lot of them. Some are good, some are not good. Uh, mostly, I think in DXC they are good, but running a mega deal is a specific animal for itself. And there are, in my opinion, only a few people that really understand how it works. Uh, I'm not that long within DXC. Uh, it's uh, I think now eight eight months or nine months, but I have met quite some senior people. Absolutely, uh, and within the company, I would say I think it's not more than. 20 or 30 people that really can work on mega deals. Yeah. Yeah. We see a very similar trend when we look at a lot of the companies that we, that we research that in some of these companies with similar size of employees, uh, only a handful can actually, you know, orchestrate these deals. And the, the problem we see is that they lack the bandwidth to be involved in enough of these deals. So either, either there are big revenue opportunity deals left on the table or companies end up sending in teams that, aren't qualified enough to do these kind yes. of deals and, and that increases the risk of, of losing the deal. So it's interesting to hear that you have a similar, that, that you, you, you agree with that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Absolutely. The, the, the funny part is being a deal maker, how we, how we call them within, uh, within our industry is you cannot learn it from school. You know, sales is not even something you can get out of an, out of an education uh, in a school. So, so you can only learn it by doing it. Exactly. Once in your lifetime, you get either in sales and you love it 
Yeah, or you don't love it at all. And I think there is no gray zone in between. Either you love working with new people, uh, meeting new people uh, and selling stuff, yeah, or consultants, consulting the customer to sell eventually, or you don't like it at all and you go into a delivery organization or something else. But there's always the key turning point, either you step into sales, that's point number one, or tipping point number one, and then you think you are actually good at sales and then you see big deals and you think, ah, oh, I can do big deals. What's the big first about managing deals, right? <laughs> and then you start seeing the entire ecosystem and you're like, what the hell is going on here? This is an entire uh, uh, game for itself. Yeah? So Tim, I'm, I'm super impressed. We, we had a pre-talk. I'm impressed about your win rate. Uh, and, and would you like to you know, you know, just give us some examples of why you have this phenomenal win rate? Yeah, sure. Um, so it's above 60%, uh, to be precise, 63 dot something, and I keep quite good track of it, uh, not only for me, but also I think if you want to be successful in the industry, you should always reflect, work on yourself, see what happened in the past and where you can improve. Um, and why that is, is that I had a, a coach uh, I had multiple coaches throughout my career, of course, and I can only say to others who want to step into mega deals or into closing large deals, get a coach or a mentor. And I can prefer one from the old Stample, uh, so to call it. So he's really into get into the office at eight, be the first in, be the last out and be there all through. You have nothing to do. Yeah, Digital workplace, he doesn't matter. Be there and be present. Um, I had uh, the privilege to have uh, one of those, uh, let's say, old-timers uh, because he was a, a mega dealer from the old days. And he was brought in to manage a deal worth more than $2 billion. And he had to orchestrate not, well, yes, the entire deal, but he also had to orchestrate different uh, deal makers in that specific big deal. So he had a lot of experience. And he was coaching me in running deals. And that is how I got into uh, into mega deals. And that was the privilege that he learned me. You can either be successful in mega deals if you qualify in or out. No matter what somebody tells you, if you think you cannot win this deal, do everything you can not to go in it. Because in the end, you are only so successful on the deals you win. Yeah? And people will only remember that one. And they will not remember where you have said, yeah, I don't think we can win it, but let's try it anyway. In the end, it's your failure. Once you qualify it, you can win. The complete responsibility, the ball drops on your plate and you have to manage it through and there's no turning back. And that is why he completely drilled me on qualifying deals. Yeah, Tib, this is absolutely so key, right? Um, and it's having this you know, disqualification mindset versus a qualification mindset, right? Because we're mm. schooled very early to think about the more opportunities I have in the pipeline, the greater the greater the chance of winning. And in, in transactional deals, that's true. But in mega deals, it's the other way around, as you say. And in the book, and, and I know you've read it, you know, we talk about key initiatives. So one of the criteria that mega dealers um, look at is if if what you're selling doesn't align to the buyer's key initiatives because that's where they tend to put a lot of the money, um, the, the mega deal won't happen. A, would you agree with that? And two, what are some of the criteria that you have put up for, your, for yourself when it comes to disqualifying uh, deals? Yeah, sure. Um, so firstly, answering your first question, do I agree? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've even uh, I posted something on LinkedIn yesterday that uh, was a little bit contributing also to your book. And I put a link into, uh, to the webinar of uh, where you also explained it. What normally happens is you got a request in from the customer, let's say a request for proposal or request for information. And the customer is asking you to provide a specific offer on a solution for that request. What average salespeople do yeah, is simply answering that specific RFP. And they are completely forgetting the over compelling mega trend, what is happening in the world? Yeah, why is this happening in the world? Then it goes down to why is this uh, a compelling event for the customer launching this RFP? Why is it currently happening? Why would I answer it as a person? Why would I answer it as an organization? And how do I qualify or disqualify myself against in the entire stack above yeah, going in or out? And you need to have an entire messaging architecture uh, breaking that down from the, the, the macro level to the micro level. And somewhere in between is mostly the RFP. But a lot of people forget that there is a big portion above the RFP and below the RFP that needs to be covered throughout the deal phase, which normally takes, what is it, six months till last one I worked was uh, two and a half years. Yeah, uh, And that messaging is, is absolutely critical. Absolutely. Yeah, just one more point on that. So we were working with a client where the win rate went from around 20 to 50%. Um, and it was the only thing, the, the only thing we did to change that was actually become much more rigid with their rigorous with their disqualification criteria, right? So you can actually, it's amazing how you can improve win rate so much before even to your point, starting the sales process and, and um, by just going after the, the, the kind of the right prospects. Would you agree? You agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, qualification is perhaps the most important instrument or tool that a dealmaker has to protect himself and his company. Because one, it's your own reputation that goes down the drain if you're not being successful. On the other hand, you're spending a lot of company money and budget if you're losing a deal. You know, If you have resources, for example, 50 people, sometimes more, sometimes less, depending on the stage of the deal working for you, it can be 100K uh, euro or dollar uh, worth of money and if you are not awarded in the end it's gone yes you can have some uh, nice reviews on why you lost but hey come on you lost the deal yeah uh, a lot of money has been spent and if you have a very large deal that goes even beyond one year or two years you're even talking even bigger numbers so it's not only for protecting yourself and your reputation but also the company's money because it's pure costs that are going out of the window So when we when we interviewed people mega deals for the book, everybody said that this discipline or this book, when they had the chance then to, to to read the book and see the discipline, they said that for the first time you put words on what I kind of felt since I started doing these mega deals. And me and Bora, who was also interviewed for the book, we we had the same feeling and. To be honest, maybe we did around 70%, maybe 60% of what's in the book. What we missed or lacked uh, at that time was, for example, enterprise social selling and all the knowledge around the digital tools. Would you say um, that you had uh, like the, the same experience and, and did you find something that you missed or lacked 
when you kind of read the book or, or looked into the discipline more deeply? So I think the, the book, well, I agree. It's the first book that deals with uh, mega deals. There are a lot of books uh, written about how to present, how to negotiate, how the brain works, uh, how emotional intelligence, how, yeah, the entire bunch of, let's say, within the sales process. But managing mega deals, as I said, is a, is a niche. And it hasn't been written down into a book as of I know it, yeah, uh, as is in now in your book. So I think it's it's a great book. There's a lot of tools in it and also thoughts that people should take seriously. But some people, you know how it happens. They read it. They think, yeah, don't worry about it. I will deal with it later. <laughs> Same with the qualification, right? If you do deal with it later, you, you're too late. Uh, so they should use it. Yeah. Um, the social selling part, I would recall it to say, sell where your customer is. Yeah. If your customer is on social media, is he on LinkedIn, is he on Xing, on Twitter, is he on forums, I don't know what, what else is all there, is he on YouTube, whatever, yeah. ensure you sell at the right platform at the right given time. Yeah. In Germany, perhaps, it is a bit different because there are, uh, now I have to be careful what I'm saying, but a lot of mature senior um, executives are on LinkedIn, but they're not on Twitter. Or they are on Twitter, but you can see they are not active. They have 50 members that they follow, three follow them, or even a bit more. They are not into social. So for them, if you say uh, the marketing aspect of a mega deal, if you put all the effort in LinkedIn, what normally now is a, a big thing, or on YouTube, they would say, well, nice, but I'm not seeing it. So you need to really identify how can I influence this person at what tool or what instrument, for example, LinkedIn. And then you take on marketing and so on, and either it needs to be billboards, neck to the road, it needs to be something in, in white paper that you bring personally to the to the person or his assistant, or even it is LinkedIn, yeah? So it, it all depends on, I would summarize it, sell where your customer's at. You're absolutely right. and we, and. In the book, we talk about digital touch points and physical touch points, right? So we, we see way too many um, who try and go from selling to orchestrating. They're too dependent on the physical meetings and the emails and the calls, right? But but to your point, some of the best mega dealers are actually, they understand the ecosystem, so they understand where their customers are, and then they use a number of different techniques. One of them is social selling, right? Another one is IP ads. A third one could be, keynote at conferences or billboards outside, you know, but, but it's understanding what are some of the other touch points and actually leveraging the right messaging with the right content at those touch points, yes. not just too reliant on physical media. So social selling is obviously just one element of that, but, but you're absolutely, and that's what you're saying. That's what I'm hearing you saying, Tim. So it's understanding, um, you know, back to the German example, what are the touch points to influence and then make sure that the messaging and the contents push through those touch points, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, fully agree with what you uh, what you just said, and and out of my experience, sorry Tim, it's it's not also about uh, get the decision makers uh, on board or reach out to them. There's uh, to your point, the, the the whole ecosystem is so much bigger today. So to drive consensus in the entire buying company, but also outside of that, mm -hmm. um, you will need to 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 reach out and and. Um, um, the messaging should also be, 
welcomed uh, or applicable um, for for the larger community and also further down in the food chain, so to speak. But I think you had yes. a great example of uh, when when you signed a big deal, and I I think it was a, a previous company you you, you worked for. Uh, do you want to share that? Yes. So what happened is that it was a, a large uh, company within uh, Germany. And we also have done a lot of investigation and qualification. And what I should perhaps address is that the work what you do in the qualification process, and I call them the, uh, the eight elements, uh, and I can go into a bit more detail later on if you want to what those elements are. That is the pre-work that sets the entire footprint for the entire, uh, entire deal. Meaning all the effort you put into the qualification is your homework, for example, your marketing strategy. Yeah. Who is talking to the customer? Not only the customer by itself, who is looking at YouTube, who is looking at your company profile, but he's also talking to other people that are advising him. For example, ISG is an advisor uh, in our industry. When normally uh, organizations go to, they say, hey, we have this kind of a request currently. Uh, I want to have a journey going to the cloud, migration to the cloud. Which providers would be able to help me? And then they will step in and help them throughout the entire process. So do you have a relationship with that advisor? If no, why would they ask you to participate in a specific request? Or do you have some uh, good experience with this advisor or don't you have any experience with that advisor? So if you then go back through the entire qualification, you will verify who are the key people, who are the key partners, who are the influencers, who are the advisors, and so on. So you have a picture if, on the entire ecosystem. And then you map down where are those people? Are they on LinkedIn? Are they are not on LinkedIn, uh, as said before? And we found out that at that specific company, they were they are uh, on social media, but not active. You know, And if you look at what is social media, it's not only to send out information, but to start a conversation. Yeah? With all the conversation, it's just one pointing messaging uh, ahead, but that's not really what social media is all about, right? So we then said is, hmm, they, those people work in the center of the city and there's only one or two, there were two big highways coming into the city. And the majority of those people are not living and working in that specific city. So we said, how can we turn a messaging board up uh, next to the highway that mm. every day they go to the office, they got a plant, uh, we, we call it a plant, a seat in their heads. Mm. So it's not, let's say the solution is a, a starting point to start a discussion. You know, that, that's what we wanted and we, we have done that. And uh, we even got commented uh, on it from, hey guys, you are uh, uh, putting signs uh, on the highway. Very smart, uh, very smart. Um, and it started a good conversation and they saw not only that we were actively uh, advising them on something, but they also saw that we did the needed investigation yeah, to help them uh, make the right decision and that we took the investigation, where do they live, uh, how, do, how can we influence them on a positive way. Yeah? And that is what uh, also was a soft point in helping us securing the deal in the end. Mm. The others mainly focused on social media too much. They were not interested in having LinkedIn posts or having Twitter tweets or podcasts or whatever. They just wanted to see, hey, I'm driving. There they are again every morning. They, they see me. <laughs> that was good fun, yeah. by the way, also. I, lo I love that example because you, you, 
you done your homework, uh, the first step, like, okay, we're going after this uh, client buyer. Uh, and then you kind of tailor your messaging out from their needs or their objectives or their hurdles maybe or, or where they need your assistance. Uh, and then you push it through and you communicate it where they are. And I think what you also could do uh, is to push it out digitally. Uh, to my point earlier, we're not the C-suite are, but maybe other people in the ecosystem, right? Mm-hmm. So so that's why I think it's so powerful to use a lot of different digital tools and platforms to push the messages out because we are individuals, as you say. I mean, we're, we're on different platforms on, on different social medias to start to interact. Yes, I fully agree. So, so Tim, one of the things that... Um Thanks for sharing, by the way. I think it's a, f- it's a fantastic example of how to be creative um, and really understanding the customer's ecosystem to put up billboards. I, I think it's brilliant. Thanks for sharing. Um, no, thank you. So one of the things that the mega dealers we interviewed all said was that when they read the book, the first thing they said is David was mentioning that, you know, you've put words on things I couldn't explain. But the second thing they said was they, they were probably doing about 70, 80% of um, – what was in the book, but they were also recognizing there's probably 20% that they could, they could do more of and improve into. Um, so when you read the book, what are the elements that you can relate to in the work that you're doing? I I think is my, my first question. I mean, you've already talked about, uh, disqualification, right? So that's one area that you clearly, um, do rigorously and that you can relate to. What are some of the other areas that you can cut, that you agree to and can relate to in the work, work you do? Um, the messaging piece. So tell us about that because that's so critical. I agree. Yeah, yeah, sure. So messaging or storytelling. How does it work? You know, mm. it's, we are all humans, and uh, we have three brains. And I'm not going into detail how the how the brain works, but basically, storytelling is something that we are used to from a child, and mm. it still works. Yeah. If you are speaking with somebody in in a bar or a restaurant, and he's talking one way without content without a specific story like why am i even talking to this guy he's boring me let's get out of here <laughs> uh, but it is what it is. if somebody has a hooked you into a story you're like oh tell me more tell me more your brain goes open and you your brain is getting completely active and saying oh, i want to hear more i want to hear more and the funny part of messaging is and uh, you have read it completely correct in your book as well is you need to orchestrate and um, fundamental implement a compelling story to the st- uh, shareholders, but it's not one story. Yeah, you have a strategy or a deal team, how I call it. What is the team? How we believe we are going to win the mega deal, but then you have to break that down to all the decision makers because a CFO is perhaps absolutely not interested in how the solution works. He wants to see what's the story behind the numbers. Yeah? The CEO wants to know how is this going to turn my company into a more digitized company. Yeah, so that you already have here two different stories or compelling stories which are on top in the deal team and then you need to narrow it down to everybody who is involved and that's a challenge it's a lot of work there again comes the qualification and what will help you uh, because you have done the investigation and then you break down the message to every stakeholder uh, so you can influence him on a positively way so not on a bad way but influencing him in a, in a way that he feels comfortable uh, buying your service because what I found out is uh, people buy where they have the less risk they can pay a little bit more 
But if you take away a, a huge amount of risk, they will award you the deal even uh, earlier than giving you, for example, a 5% discount on the price. And I always take the example, you have, you have two cars. Yeah? One is 10K and you ask the guy, is it good? Yeah, it's, the car is quite okay. It will drive. Uh, is there any warranty on it? No, there's no warranty on it. But I guarantee you it's a good car. And the next side you have is, looks the same. looks the same car. It costs 12K and you have a warranty of two years. And the guy says, well, this is also a good car. Well, which car will you pick? Yeah. The one with the warranty because you take the risk away that it is going to cause you a lot of money in one year, for example, when the engine explodes. So taking the risk away, and I think it's even proven in a, in a report that is one of the key influences uh, of awarding a deal to somebody or not. Instead of only focusing on why are we the best for your solution? Why are we the best partner? Why are we the greatest and happiest uh, company in the world? People forget about uh, risk a lot. I gl- I'm glad you bring that up because then we have a nice segue into the to the part around risk because uh, I, I love what Bora said early when we started to work uh, like benefits or value bring you into the door because otherwise you you wouldn't they wouldn't talk to you but it's often risk mitigation that that actually closes the deal so so how do you how do you work with risk today is that through the entire sales process do you start early do you hone in it on it uh, extra at the deal closing part or how is that kind of spread out if it is uh, through your sales cycle good question um it starts at the early beginning because then there is the risk for the company for your own company to uh, do i want to invest 100k in this pursuit or not so that's already one risk and then if you say yes, how can we mitigate the risk for the customer uh, choosing us? So how can he be felt most comfortable awarding the deal to us? And that goes through different stages. And you have within the sales cycle, different stages with the customer. One day you have to present a solution. Then you have, then you get shortlisted. Then you need to provide another offer. Then you get even more shortlisted. Then you have a BAFU, which is best and final offer. So you can put everything on the table, do a best price uh, point or adjust your solution with higher SLAs, and then they make a decision. So throughout that process, which can take six months to two years, you always want to mitigate risk. Of course, you want also to explain why we are the best provider of choice for this specific uh, request. Um, but mitigating that risk goes throughout the entire way. But if you look at the official steps, because the process is uh, uh, regulated through the process and you cannot simply run to the customer and ask for advice on a specific topic, that's mostly not allowed. You, know? you call them Trojan horses, you need them absolutely. But officially, uh, it's somewhere a gray zone if you can use them or not, eh? let's be honest. But I, I prefer to use them because that is... Uh, that is needed. I think it was a, 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 a report from Salesforce that has done some investigation. And they even said, if you follow strictly the process without going outside of the boundaries, you will only become second. It's out there. I think I can send it to you later on. It's a report. And then people often forgot that. And the average salespeople, what they do is they follow the process 100%. They don't bring any additional value. They don't bring any additional risk. They don't leverage the entire ecosystem. They get second place. And they're like, 
how did that happen? We were fully compliant. Yeah, the customer was not asking to be fully compliant. The customer is asking, what can I learn from you which I don't know today? Yeah, that brings you unique value in this proposal. Uh, why I would choose you and to, of course, in the end, mitigate risk. Tim, I, I really love listening to you. You've kind of gone through really the five cornerstones. You've talked about the importance of disqualification. You've talked about the importance of, of influencing the ecosystem with different types of touch points, um, how important risk mitigation is um, in the deal several times about, you know, mapping the ecosystem and also you kind of at the end, you know, squeezed in the Trojan horses. So you've really kind of, you've really talked about um, the five cornerstones that that we talk about in the discipline. Is there anything in, in the discipline when you read the book that you feel is missing that, that you, you've been doing when you are orchestrating these mega deals, but that you feel um, we've not picked up in, in the book as we talk about the discipline? Um, well, qualification is one of them. Uh, because as an, uh, you could consider writing an entire book on how to qualify a mega deal in or out. Yeah? More than happy to work with you guys to make that happen. Um, that would be, I think, an important one. And secondly, yeah, the, the rest, for example, negotiation. Yeah? How to set up a negotiation. There are complete books written about negotiations. Yeah? You cannot put that in a, a, a more holistic mega deal book uh, without going through all the details. But how to facilitate, ghost, orchestrate uh, a negotiation is also critical because whatever salespeople do, they will say, well, we have our proposal. Tomorrow is or next week is our negotiation. You, you and you join me and uh, we go in and let's see what happens. I, I, it's crazy, but it happens. It's, it's the average. It's the, it's the norm. Um, what my coach learned me, you need to write, uh, read the book, uh, The Art of War. And there is some fundamental things in it that still applies in sales today. And the example is if a general, a good general is asked, hey, we need to go to invade, infiltrate this, this country. And he just simply says, yes, let's go. And he goes with uh, troops on the ground and they have airplanes. What, what, what do you want to do with people running on ground floor? If people <laughs> are bombing you throughout <laughs> the entire way. It's completely crazy. The same is for negotiations. You cannot step in if you don't know what what is our partner, best alternative uh, to a negotiation agreement. What leverage do we have from a price position? What else can we upsell in the negotiation? What the customer did not ask for, but we know he still needs. What sets us apart? Uh, who's talking? Who will plant a seat at the customer that they will consider after after the negotiations, we're like, hey, they mentioned something we forgot about it. Shouldn't we continue working with those people to learn more, to understand more, and also um, understand the power play? Yeah, it's always nice to say, I'm the deal maker. I come in. I have the entire authority to make decisions. Sometimes you don't even want to be uh, in that room making the decisions, and just use that as a as a as a as a as a, as a instrument to say. I understand. I understand. I need this back. Uh, need to bring this back to the board. I need to have a corporate approval, and then I come back. So everything is agreed. Till every, nothing is agreed. Till everything is agreed, could be a strategy moving forward. But it's very hard if you in the beginning say, "I'm the deal maker. I'm the the chief negotiator. I can make any decisions there uh, you want me to make," 
and in the end you get scrutinized yeah and then people are looking at you like why can't you make a decision yeah you, you come in with your big ego and in the end there's no content behind it so basically you're a trust untrustworthy and uh, please get out yeah i think I, that wraps, I, I think, wraps it up a bit yeah yeah no and i think the last thing you talk i think on disqualification it obviously is a key cornerstone of the discipline that we write in the book but you're right the negotiation piece uh, I, I think we purposely didn't address because as you say that's a book of its own mm. <laughs> you know that's Absolutely. Uh, and it comes into kind of um it comes into the dialogue techniques and how you um how you negotiate um uh, of course um and it's a, it's a key part of of course uh, a, a, a mega deal um uh, but we've looked at in, in the discipline we've looked more from an orchestration perspective but you're absolutely right i think that is a really key element uh, as well that's important to to really get your mm. get your head around is there anything in in the discipline that that you've read that you disagree with no honestly not um i think all the ingredients which are in there are absolutely valid and mm. should be applied where possible the only thing what i uh, and we had that also in our conversation earlier what you see is that at least in my industry marketing is not involved in a deal team at the beginning mm. You need to ask for them to step in. And basically what most of the time happens is you already have some kind of an action for them to execute, not to think through the entire messaging, boarding, mm. or architecting the fundamental storyline to the customer. Marketing is more being a supporter, yeah? uh, helping you out with, hey, I need a nice presentation, uh, PowerPoint layout, can you transform this to a nice Word document into PDF? You did that, that's not marketing, you know. But marketing needs to have a stake a stakeholder uh, uh, position in a deal. And I think there's still a lot of work in it. And I think that would be something you could incorporate into the into the book. How you get marketing in, not as a supporter, but as an entrepreneur helping you to win and secure the deal instead of being supportive. I think that that's kind of the fundamental in the book and in the discipline to get marketing and sales to work as, as we say, hashtag one team. And I think the the first episode we, we had with, with Mark Stoos, he kind of nailed a, a lot of the marketing aspects um, and how important it is to really understand the numbers to really understand sales and the whole business. So if you want to be a successful marketeer, you really need a lot of knowledge in all the different areas of a company today. And to, as you say, be integrated, not, you know, marketing here and sales here. They have to be one team. Uh, and then when you have done that, you will also, in the best of worlds, integrate other parts. Like uh, if you have a cus customer service, you have... Uh, a team uh, answering uh, customers uh, via phone or, or email or chat, you want to integrate them as well and ask them all the questions around what are the things that you hear from our customers today. And then you, you know, push that in a really clever messaging way out uh, through the different digital and also physical touch points. So to get this internal ecosystem as work as one team, that is fundamental and crucial but we don't see that in a, in a lot of companies today we still see these silos we have marketing here as you say uh, and you have sales over there and 
I think it's an unfair question and, and to, to ask if you are working as one team today uh, where you are, because it's not often that we look at a, a bigger company of today who had, you know, really have this, these two parts uh, integrated. Have you come across a, a company uh, that you sold to or work with as a partner that, that you can say they are really good at that? Yes, I can. Okay, give it to I me. I have worked there. Yeah? Yeah, it's, uh, it's Salesforce. Yeah. Mm. I, I worked there for, uh, for six months. Uh, it was my own, de- own decision to go back in the industry where I work in now. So I was 10 years in the IT outsourcing industry. Then I thought, well, if I want to change a market, uh, let's do it now. Then I changed to Salesforce. It's absolutely a fantastic company to work for. Can only highly recommend it, but it was no fit with me personally because I wanted to run mega deals. Mm. I wanted to do deals. They have also deals, don't get me wrong, but they are a different set of deals. Mm. It's a software licensing company with a lot of products and services and they're great in what they do, but it's a different league, a different gameplay. So I stepped back out of Salesforce going uh, going back to the old world into DXC and I'm happy where I am now. But if I look at what Salesforce has have taught me, I would even recall them as being a marketing company with a sales organization mm. instead of a sales organization with a marketing Interesting. Uh, organization behind it because they are crazy on marketing. You can see them everywhere and everybody wants to be part of it. If you are a customer, you want to have their logo somewhere, their stickers. You want to go to their boot camps. It's mm. just you You want to be there. It's, it's absolutely crazy how they drive marketing throughout the company and to their customers and new co- customers. And how they sales is then working, I would not call it behind marketing, yeah, but somehow they are because it's a marketing engine. It's crazy. It's also a great company uh, as an example of start with why, I would say, with Simon yeah, Sinek. Yeah, absolutely. And they're growing like maniacs. So, so it, is, it is a success story by itself. Oh, 100%, yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of great stories with, with Tony Robbins and, and the founders of, of Salesforce, but we don't have the time to go through that today. <laughs> but but uh, so we, we're coming to an end. Uh, Tim, this, this has been a great conversation, I think, and, and a pleasure having you. So just one final question for me would be, you mentioned the book, uh, The Art of War. Is there any other book uh, that you want to give to the listener out there uh, a book that really helped you you don't have to mention mega deals because we talked about that book all the time in this podcast but uh, any other interesting books well there are of course multiple books uh, out there but if you think about storytelling and the message architecturing about uh, around it i would say a, a book called what great sales people do Uh, And that is really making the fundamental shift from sending a message to explaining a story and hook somebody into the story. I would absolutely recall uh, somebody to read that. The Art of War, it's a specific book what you would would think about, well, why would I read a book about war when I'm in sales? Well, in some extent, we are in war in sales, if you look at the competition, (laughs) let's be honest. I think that is a great uh, uh, a great book to read as well, and perhaps um, yeah, I think no, I think uh, that are the, the 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 books I would recommend for now. A lot of negotiation and uh, the book of uh, of Salesforce behind the clouds is also a good a good one to read. Um, but uh, uh, 
if you think one perhaps more on storytelling, pitch anything from Oram Klav. Uh, and he translates the brain and how you break down the brain into a presentation or a story. Uh, a presentation is only worth what story behind uh, is you are telling. And he starts with the old brain, the croc brain, the neocortex and the midbrain. And not in that format a little bit differently. But how you break down a message coming from the, the croc brain to the midbrain going to uh, to the neocortex and how you can positively influence the brain that it is working with you instead of against you in a presentation. Thank you. Before before Bora wraps up, I, I have one more question. Do you have uh, a colleague or someone you met in um, in your industry or other industry that you um, see as a mega dealer and would love to hear more from in, in this podcast? That we yeah, my about? coach, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, he is... Uh, He's currently supporting a group, the Association of Professional Sales, and they are trying and uh, breaking through in the UK to make sales a really an education and seen as a education in that uh, in the UK and even throughout the world. He was my coach. He has done I don't know how many mega deals, coming from two billion to a couple of one hundred millions. Uh, he's a great person to listen to. He has a huge amount of experience. Uh, I will try to hook you up with him. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate that. But what normally happens with him, he's not working into deals anymore. Mm. But as uh, as long as you start talking about deals, you know, his ears go open and then he goes. So if we start with the word mega deals, we're, we're done. Yes. <laughs> yes, he's one of those old schoolers that absolutely is thrilled. He could even step into a plane and talk about it and get into the trenches again. And uh, he would love to, um, but he's currently doing something else, which he loves. But uh, his, should I call him your na- his name? It's uh, it's Mike Hurley. Uh, and he was my coach. And I would be uh, thrilled to hear him also in this podcast. I think it's a good, uh, it's a good choice. Fantastic. Thank you. So, so Tim, um, really, there's been some absolutely excellent insights that I'm sure our listeners are going to love to hear. So first of all, thanks for sharing. Before we wrap up, is there, despite, you know, you already shared tons of great insights. Is there anything else that you would like to finish off with um, around mega deals before we, uh, before we wrap up that you feel hasn't been shared already that you feel is really important or that, you know, um, that you've learned along the journey? Never stop learning. I know it's a generic term and uh, everybody says it, but uh, never stop learning. Although you have been successful, you have closed deals, there are always things you can could have done better. And don't be shy to even ask your customers uh, why did they choose you uh, as a company to buy with. Uh, and not only one person, ask 10 person and also ask them honestly, what have we done good? What have we done bad? And how can we improve? And do that throughout your career, and I think you will become more and more successful. I think you've absolutely nailed it. I love to finish on that note. And my good friend David, who's sitting next to me right here, <clears throat> he'll he'll keep saying the word, uh, the phrase, "never graduate," and it's um, it's so true, isn't it, David? One hundred percent aligned. <laughs> I think you nailed it. <laughs> so cool. on that note, Tim. Um, again, I uh, from David, myself, and Christopher, who's not. Um, in the studio today. We really, really thank you. This has been some excellent insights um, and we really appreciate you taking the time to share um, share your insights. I'm absolutely sure that we will have more discussions uh, and, and uh, find ways to collaborate um, in the future around this because we're clearly 
uh, I think we all share a similar passion. So if you are interested in mega deals and would like to know more about the work we do on a daily basis, please find us on www.megadeals.com or on all different social medias like YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Insta. And until next time, make an amazing day. <laughs>